Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast, where we choose to recover out loud by sharing our personal stories of inspiration, hope, and triumph. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. We are proof that recovery does happen. Joy and laughter may be involved. This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Welcome to the Recovery Hour. This is Lori Winfeld, your host. And today I am here with no other than Danielle Greyrich, who also goes by DG. We're going to call her Danielle today because that's her God-given name. Right? Yes. And Danielle's an author. Super excited to discuss a new book that just came out, self-published, already on the bestseller list, Stroke of Sobriety. I love it. Yeah. None of this was in my plan at all whatsoever. I don't even think I ever dreamt of or wanted to be a writer or an author. So it kind of happened organically. So we're going to roll with it. Yeah. (laughs) What was the, what was the catalyst? I mean, what made you say, Hey, I'm going to just do this. And also I think this is a big deal too, for anyone that's interested in writing your self-published. Yes. And what does that, I mean, what does that mean to people who do or don't know about writing? So I'll go back to what started this. So I suffered a massive stroke in early sobriety And that stroke took away my ability to speak, read, and write completely. I couldn't speak at all. And I was seeing a speech therapist, and she suggested that I start writing in order to hopefully get back my speech, um, you know, kind of trigger those thoughts in your mind. And so I, I did it out of necessity. That was the only, you know, thing. And so, you know, I was super new in sobriety. And I, I knew that a morning routine was really important. So I just, you know, each and every morning I had that alone time and, and I just started writing. And so it just kind of became a thing. And I wrote on social media about my sobriety, my struggles, just everything and anything. And people started looking forward to what I was writing. And I was like, what, this is like so weird in October, I was in the shower and like the thought, I was like, stroke of sobriety. Like it just came out of nowhere. I don't know why all good ideas come in the shower, but they do. So you're just standing in the shower. You're like, I'm going to write a book. And then two months later, literally bam on Amazon bestseller. Exactly. You know, actually I published the book in 29 days. (laughs) I I, will. So, but I had spoke to several different publishers and each one of them told me it's impossible to publish a book in less than 30 days. I'm one of these people. Do not tell me something is impossible because I will prove your ass wrong. Just out of spite, just because I'm an asshole like that. I was going to just and- ask you that question. Is that why you did it in 29 days? I feel like. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Exactly. Okay. So I, uh, I did a lot of research and found out that I could publish it on Amazon because they have a platform where you can do self-publishing. Every single publisher that I spoke to, they're like, well, you can do it, but nothing's going to really come out of it. And that was totally fine with me. I didn't anticipate or have any sort of intentions with publishing this to become a well-known author. 
Like not at all. It just kind of happened. And, you know, I, I published it simply because there was nothing out there that I had found that talked about how difficult the first year of sobriety is. Like I didn't have that pink cloud. Nothing was rainbows and unicorns. Like my life got really, really difficult as soon as I got sober. It probably got more difficult than when I was drinking and taking pills. And so I needed to have something to like, okay, this craziness is sort of normal and I can get through this. And so I I published it because during the whole quarantine and, you know, COVID thing, people are really realizing that shit, my relationship with alcohol might be a little bit more serious than I thought. And so I figured, um, you know, at the beginning of 2021, people are going to need something like this. They're going to need something because I have lost personally eight really close friends and none of them have died due to COVID. And I'm not saying that that's the thing, but that's just my reality. I've lost people either to, they drank themselves to death or they overdosed or they killed themselves. Wow. Since March. It sounds like you have a really high risk friend group. What's happening? <laughs> I know, right? It's, uh, you know, a lot of, and it's so weird and it's just so tragic. A lot mm. of these women who are moms and they kept their drinking private. And I feel like as soon as everything got shut down, they weren't able to hide their drinking from their husbands or from their kids because everybody was home. And that pressure, because I know that pressure, that is a lot to handle. It is too much to present this facade. Like I have my my life together. I have my shit together. And, you know, they they just ended it because they didn't see any other way out. And um, I've been there, man. I, I 100% get it. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, which... <laughs> I'm changing gears so fast because you said you've, you've been there. Um, Mm -hmm. so you wrote this book it's out and, oh my gosh, we'll put the link into so people can find it. What happened from the beginning on quick synopsis of your story, because you have not only fought against sobriety, but also several other health tragedies really, right? Like (laughs) Right. Well, I think you can look at it one way or the other. So I have suffered kidney cancer and a stroke and it's not in my family. Like nobody has had kidney cancers. Nobody suffered a stroke. So I don't know. In my belief, I feel like God needed to get my attention. Basically, you know, I grew up in a, in a really upper middle-class home. My mom is an alcoholic. There was just so much dysfunction in our home. And, you know, we grew up in this really posh sort of neighborhood and we were not allowed to discuss anything. You are not allowed to disclose the fact that she had been to rehab. She had, mm-hmm. you know, gone to meetings, all of this. So I was carrying around her trauma my whole life. And, you know, I didn't realize that I was carrying around those secrets day in and day out. And I come from a long ass history of secret keepers. My whole family doesn't want to discuss shit. It's the worst. It's just, it is. And it just keeps saying, man. 
And, you know, that's why I feel like, you know, going through cancer and having a stroke, that was my ability to basically show my family, look, these secrets are keeping me sick, right? They are keep, they will kill me. So I really don't give a shit. If you don't want to discuss any of this stuff, I have to do it because if I don't, I'm going to die. I will. And I got a, a shit ton of backlash when uh, I I started speaking about my sobriety and my suicide attempts and, and all of that after my stroke, because I just came out guns blazing. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to hold anything back. And, you know, I feel like it, it's so important for me because I don't, I have kids and they're small and I don't want to feel that they think that they're burden to carry around my secrets. Right. These are these aren't secrets. Right. I went through some shit. Everybody goes through some shit and you own it and you walk through it. Well, and that's one of the things that's so interesting is you get more time under your belt in sobriety or recovery of any sort, whether that's substance, food, whatever it is, porn, gambling. Mm-hmm. When you get to a place where you can be open about it and comfortable with that and then say, oh my gosh, these secrets I've been keeping, I almost made the kids do the same thing. And then now you're not. And I'm like, I'm like an open book. I literally, my kids are like, mom, stop talking. Right. Cause I'll just be like, oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, stop. Yeah. Um, right. Totally different, you know? Um, and they're at ages, I have two teenagers and a seven-year-old and they're at the ages where, yeah, drinking is a thing, you know? Right. So I'm just like, it's like drinking gasoline. <laughs> it, yeah. It's just, you know, I have a, my son is in seventh grade. Oh yeah. And that's the grade that I started drinking. I was going to ask you that. Let's talk more about your, let's talk about your story from, from go. So you started drinking in seventh grade, seventh grade. Okay. And then where'd that take you? (laughs) I, you know, I, I rode that train all the way until I was 34 years old. You know, I, I didn't get to graduate with my class because, um, I refused to do math class. And so, I ended up graduating in summer school. And as soon as I graduated, my um, got my diploma, my parents were like, get the fuck out of our house. And I don't blame them. I was reckless and I was just a nightmare. And so I ended up driving um, my 1988 Honda Accord to New Mexico because I had um, an ex-boyfriend who lived there and all my friends were going to college. They all had you know, full ride scholarships and their parents were paying for the best of the best and I had nothing. And so I just went out there and I ended up realizing that the ex-boyfriend was an ex-boyfriend for a reason. And uh, I found these guys who lived at a frat house and they said, well, why don't you come and live at the frat house with us? You can like be the house mom. And I was like, all right, free rent. Cool. Sounds great. (laughs) And, uh, and I did. And, you know, shortly after living at that frat house, I ended up getting into a high speed chase because I had been kicked out of a nightclub. I was escorted out and I uh, was sitting in my car and all of a sudden I hear a knock on the window and there was a cop. And for some reason, I decided to just take off. And so I was on a high speed pursuit in my 19. 
1988 Honda Accord. Um, to any listeners, um, do, I do not suggest doing a high-speed chase in a 1988 <laughs> Honda Accord or any Hondas, period. And, uh, you know, I that chase ended because I smashed my um, face through a telephone pole, woke up in jail. It was just such a nightmare. And I, you know, I didn't want to tell my parents because they had kicked me out and I was mm-hmm. not going to tell them shit because... They didn't deserve to hear anything. <laughs> None of that business. I know. Oh so my gosh. It, uh, yeah, it was wild. But you know, I after that fiasco, um, I I left New Mexico because <laughs> I was like, this is probably not a good idea, and moved back to Arizona. And I ended up meeting my husband when I was about twenty three years old. Shortly after meeting him, I found out I was pregnant. And I was told I could not have children. I was told that at the age of 18, I had really horrendous endometriosis. And they basically said, you know, your chances of getting pregnant is just not an option. And I was totally okay with that because I I never wanted kids. I never wanted to be a mom. I just didn't want anything to do with that. And so I found out I was pregnant and I was 16 weeks when I found out and, uh, Yeah, it was, you know, I was just drinking and living my life. The only reason I actually went to get a pregnancy test was because I couldn't get my abs back. Like I was working out in the gym, like I had a Britney Spears hot body and I was like, what the hell is going on? And, uh, come to find out I was pregnant and my son was born at 32 weeks. He was born, um, not breathing. He was basically born dead. Uh, he was revived and that whole scenario was so incredibly traumatic. Um, my son was airlifted to another hospital, so I didn't get that sort of bonding and I already didn't want to be a mom. So it was like just miserable. Mm. And I suffered horrendous postpartum. I, uh, you know, I was sitting in the hospital. I just sit in the hospital for a week after he was delivered because I had a really horrible preeclampsia and they couldn't bring my blood pressure down whatsoever. And so I just remember sitting in the hospital thinking like, God damn, I need to get out of this hospital so I can get a drink. I knew that if I put a drink in my body, it would be okay. Yeah. And so, you know, pouring a depressant upon depression is recipe for disaster, basically. So much. So you have one thing after the other, it seems Mm -hmm. like continuously. And so your go-to was alcohol. Were you experimenting with anything else? You know, I, I did a bunch of pills and all of that, but you know, I dabbled in cocaine, but alcohol was always my number one. And always with those things already happening, that's crazy that it was that wasn't a wake up call. So what was it that made you say, I need to stop drinking or I'm going to die? I never thought that to be honest. Oh, (laughs) I just made that up for you. (laughs) No, I, no, I never once did. And to be honest, you know, I, I, I wish I could have died. I I tried multiple times to kill myself and, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't successful, which really pissed me off. And, uh, you know, it, it, I wish I had some sort of solid answer to why that Monday or that uh, Friday in March of 2018, I decided to hop into an Uber and go to a meeting. 
I have no idea. The only thing that um, I can really think of is that I had tried all the other avenues to kind of get sober. Um, I did, you know, all the rehabs, all the therapists, all of the psychologists, psychiatrists, like all of it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. You know, I actually do know. I realized that there wasn't enough alcohol or enough pills in the world that was going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. There, It stopped working, to be honest. Yeah. If it was still working, my ass would still be drinking. Yeah. Hand to God, it would. Mm-hmm. It just stopped. Yeah. So when you made that decision and you have, so that's since March of 18. 20. Yeah. You haven't gone back. Now, what is your, what's your recovery like? What's your journey been in recovery? When I walked into the rooms, the first woman that I met um, actually is now my sponsor. She um, basically, you know, wrapped me up and just loved me. And I I still to this day don't know why I was able to trust her, um, but I was. And I do a lot of meetings. I still to this day um, attend about five, five meetings a week. And, you know, but that first year of sobriety, my ass was in a meeting, you know, three to four times a day Wow! because I didn't feel safe, not because my husband was going to harm me or I was going to harm myself, but like, I didn't know how to function mm-hmm. being a mom and a wife without something to help me. It was just, it was so crazy. I it's yeah. So did you find yourself or do you find yourself still at this point? Do you have any co-occurring disorders? It's so interesting that you asked that. So after I suffered the stroke. Okay, wait, (laughs) let's, let's get to that. Where, okay. Okay. So your stroke happened during or after? During sobriety. Okay. So I walked into the rooms in March, uh, March 9th of 2018. And I suffered this stroke on June 26th of 2018. Okay. After the stroke, I found out that I had had a heart condition my entire life. I had AFib. Alcohol basically essentially saved my life because it suppressed all of it. Wow. It, it calmed all of the rapid heart rate, all of the SVT, everything that was going on. And as soon as I stopped drinking, my body was like, listen, bitch, what are you doing? This is working for you. And you know, it wasn't working for me at all, but I wasn't going to slow down my life when I was drinking to, you know, look at my heart and every single doctor and every single psychiatrist, like they knew that I had a really high resting heart rate. My resting heart rate was 120 beats per minute. That was like my normal. I know each doctor basically said, well, you're just a highly anxious person, excitable or passionate or whatever bullshit (laughs) they wanted to throw on. Thank God, because I had been telling these doctors, like you fuckers are missing something. Like this is not normal. And they really a hundred percent kind of had me convinced that I was just crazy that this heart rate was just all in my mind that I'm making all of it up. And so suffering the stroke was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I ended up having two different heart ablations. So they basically like burn the, the parts of my heart that weren't functioning properly. And so now I'm a completely different human, like not even remotely the same. I couldn't have this conversation with you 
because my heart would be beating out of my chest. Like in my, really, yeah, my voice would be raised. It was just, and it was so exhausting looking like that. <laughs> I bet. I mean, geez. Wow. So that landed you in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then, and here you are sober as can be. And then now you're, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, while this is, <laughs> I know I'm just there right. so much. I know so much. I know this is happening and you have at this time, one or two children. Two. Okay. So you have husband and he's in the air force. So is he around or what's going on with him? You know, he is around, but you know, when he was deployed for the first like five-ish years of our marriage, you know, he was Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, like he was just gone all Mm -hmm. the time. He has not been deployed for like a long extended period of time um, since my daughter was born. My daughter was born in 2013. Okay. So I don't even know. I'm just counting my blessings because it's, I hate deployments. It's just not enjoyable at all. So him being around now with you being sober, do you? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, well, ask your question. I think I'm going to, I think I know what you're going to ask, but. I know. I feel like you want to just answer it. So just tell me what you're thinking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, you know, having, having, I know that many of us seek sobriety and have partners that aren't always necessarily on the same boat and, right. um, and, or do, you know, they do, or they don't support it. It changes your entire life. So sometimes you're dealing with a situation where you're a new person and that person's not changing with you or they are, and they're excited. So I guess I'm just trying to get the feel of like what's happening in your home life after all of right. these things happen to you. Yeah. It, uh, it's, so the first year of sobriety was brutal. I think it's the worst thing anyone could ever experience. <laughs> it, absolutely. And you know, my husband and I, we were, we were drinking buddies. Like we used to go out and get wasted, wasted and like for date nights and, and all of that. And it, and it was really fun until it wasn't. So, you know, as soon as, um, I got sober it was our 10 year wedding anniversary in, in April of 2018. And so I was like, I don't, I don't even know how to have sex sober. Like I, I really, I've never had sex sober ever. And so I didn't, it was just so, I, I just felt like a prisoner in my own skin. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was, what I was going to do. And, you know, my husband and I, I'll be dead honest. If I would not have taken the suggestion to not make any sort of permanent decisions in your first year, I a hundred percent would have got a divorce. Yeah, I just would have, for me, that was like the easy way out because I just, I couldn't, there was just so much resentment between Mm -hmm. both of us. And I just didn't see that ever getting better whatsoever. He was a hundred percent supportive of, you know, me getting sober. But the other thing is, is that he never once said, you know, you need to go get some help or like, you need to go, you know, seek some treatment, never, Mm -hmm. ever, ever, ever. And I'm really grateful for that because I feel like if he would have told me, you know, maybe you need to go to one of those meetings or like, maybe you should go to rehab. I don't believe I would have gotten sober because I'm not the girl that say, if you're going to tell me to do something, I'm not going to do it. But if you let me, you know, do it on my own, then it'll work out. And so now today, it took about 18 months of sobriety 
for he and I to kind of flow together and rekindle that love. I didn't believe that it was going to happen, but now today I, I am just so madly in love with his ass. I just, he's my person. Like he always has been. And I'm just so grateful for him. And like through this whole quarantine and and COVID shit, like we've been able to spend a lot of time together. And I, at the beginning I was like, oh shit, (laughs) this is not gonna end up well, like at all. Right. This COVID shit is either going to make people or they're going to break people. Mm -hmm, For sure. And and I'm really grateful that it's made us because we're so much stronger today than we've ever been. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's good to hear that something good is coming out of, I like to say the message out of the mess, right? Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So this, tell me about the book. Now you said you were in a place where you were in the shower, just thinking about Mm -hmm. it and all these thoughts and writings. What is, how is the book laid out. It actually is uh, a daily reader, a daily reader. Yeah. Like a daily reflections or, you know, I don't ever want to say like a devotional because I drop F bombs like all throughout it. And girl, that's how I am. (laughs) So it's uh, I hear you. Yeah. Like I'll, you know, in the same page for each day, it's like, I can talk about God and I can fucking say, fuck that. And it's like, it, and it all flows together. Cause that's who I am. Exactly. Welcome to the recovery yeah. hour. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> the feedback that I have received has been astounding mm. um, because especially I'm trying to think how I can say this without disclosing and giving away somebody's anonymity. Um, oh yeah. I have a family member okay. who I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that they were suffering the way they are. Mm. And as soon as I found out that they purchased the book on their own and how much it's helping them, I was shocked. And you know, the only reason that I wrote it is because I just wanted to help one person. Right. That's it. Yeah. And then here you are doing that in your own circle. I know. Yeah. It's just so, so wild. So wild. I love it. Well, I'm really looking forward to reading it. This all came down so organically that Danielle and I found each other um, and the book is out and I'm like, I don't even, I have to get it. So (laughs) I'm going to work on that. Usually I would have looked at that prior to interviewing, but I mean, come on, let's get it. Let's who's who's got time to read a devotion book right now. Oh shit. We're not calling a devotion because fuck that. (laughs) Right. No. Um, <laughs> well, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to um, to read it and to definitely get our listeners on board. We have a lot of people that come on and listen to the show that are looking for guidance in that first sort of couple months, year of sobriety. Yeah. And yeah, I have said this before myself. It is difficult. I hid. My best friend recently said, she's like, I didn't even see you. I didn't even think you liked me anymore. <laughs> right. I was similar to you, my I don't know that I questioned whether my marriage was strong enough or not, mm-hmm. but I just am like, are we going to be married? Because like we go to the bars a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to stop drinking. Yeah. My husband still drinks. Yeah. Mine too. But he's a normal, like he just drinks normally. He'll buy like a 12 pack and there's, he'll drink two. I don't understand. I don't either. 
I don't it's get so it. weird. It is so weird. It's so Ugh. weird. It's it's so weird to watch normal people drink even at this time. Like right? Yes. And people not finishing their drinks. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You don't pour out beer. <laughs> Why are you wasting that? You? I know. I hate it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or I used to like like the double pour. Like I would be down to like maybe half a glass of wine and then I'd pour more in. And my husband would be like, You didn't even finish yep. that. And I'm like, it's only a sip left. What are you talking right? about? I uh, uh, yeah. And I was always double fisting always because I'm afraid I'm the bartender is not going to come around. You never know. You can't be sitting there without something. No. So what's your go-to now? What do you do now that you don't have that vice? I, you know, I love, love, love speaking to people and I love, um, helping and I, I hate the word like helping, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of a sounding board for Mm -hmm. people who are severely struggling and they just don't see any fucking hope. Yeah. They just feel like there is no hope. I'm one of those lost causes. And that was me. Like I sincerely didn't believe that I could live my life without a a drink or a pain pill. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. And, um, I'm a hundred percent living proof that like you can enjoy your life and still have, you know, parties at your house and, you know, still just enjoy it. Yeah. And, and I love my life, man. I am so I'm surrounded by just remarkable people so and people great. like me. <laughs> yes. I'm like, what? Cause I, I was an asshole, man. I was a bitch when I was drinking. I was what I love about hearing that for listeners that may be contemplating stop drinking or using or whatever their vice is, it, it is definitely something I would say majority of us experience in the very beginning thinking I'll never be able to live without, I can't imagine my life without this. And mm-hmm. then also I'm, is anyone going to like me? Am I going to be fun? And, you know, I see people look at me sometimes now that I can tell they're like, oh shit, she's drunk. Right. Like people, not that right. I know, like just random yeah. um, because I'm having fun because I'm outspoken because mm-hmm. I'm out there having a good, right. I probably calmed down. Well, that's not true, but <laughs> But you know, like, and, um, you have to just realize, and for those people, that's so great that they're in your life, that you're an asshole to, that you expect, they, mm-hmm. they, knew, they know your heart, they know, and they love you and knew that they'd get you back. Right. They a hundred percent, they did. And I feel like a lot of this, especially writing the book, you know, I feel indebted to the people who, who stuck by me and, mm-hmm. and who didn't give up on me and, just continued to root for me, even though I didn't give them any sort of reason to even be remotely happy for anything that I did. Mm. I was just, I was not an enjoyable human. I, I was just a miserable bitch and, and I was hurting so badly be, and I wanted to hurt everybody the same way that I was hurting yeah. and I was good at it. Mm. I was good so how, like at, at this point, now that you've gotten through that and you said you have a seventh grader, so is that your mm-hmm. oldest or youngest? Oldest. Okay. So you have two and then the hubs, like, yeah. What do you think their experiences knowing? Obviously the seventh grader probably has memories of mm-hmm. you. Oh yeah. 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 Cause he was 10 when I got sober and he, he has a lot of memories. Mm-hmm. I, 
I haven't ventured down the road to making any sort of formal amends to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that, you know, it it needs to happen, but my kids and, and my husband, they're just so happy that I, I'm not even, I don't even want to say I'm back because I was, I was never there. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a completely different mom. I'm, I'm able to be present. Like when they would do anything, you know, go to the store or like go to the park. I was not around. Right. I was holed up in my little dungeon (laughs) in my room drinking and everybody knew that. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. I just feel like, especially my daughter, uh, she's, she was born the day after I was, and she is just, she's so cool. She's so cool. She's just so like, so much like me. Mm. And that was my biggest fear. I didn't want to have a daughter because I'm not, I'm not a woman that anybody should look up to at Mm. all. And so, you know, I'm able to, to be that mom and, and to be somebody that they're proud of. Like what, what? Yes. That's so great to hear. And such a great place to be in your own mind. Uh, Yeah, it, it really, really is. It's yeah. Okay. Well, we have a couple more minutes. And one of the things I love to do on the recovery hour is ask my guests who, if you could invite anyone living or not to your house for dinner, who would it be and why? Howard Stern. Mr. Billionaire. hundred percent Howard Stern. I, uh, I grew up watching him and I, I have so much respect for him. And I know most people think that's absolutely crazy, but he built himself remaining himself. Mm-hmm. He is a hundred percent authentic. What you see is what you get. And that's, that's who I am. And I just, I, I just admire him. And I, hopefully like, if he comes to my house, he'll bring like the whole, you know, whack pack and like, it'll just be a f- great. And, you know, hopefully Artie gets sober and oh my God. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Poor Artie. But, uh, oh my God, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. <sighs> How sad is that? It's so sad. Is he is, homeless yeah. right now? I feel like he's homeless I, right now. <sighs> I don't I know. know. I used to listen all the time and I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, and, and not because of any other reason of than I just have no fucking time to do anything, but I was a listener for a long time. Yeah. And just the authenticity, because, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a long time ago that you couldn't say what you thought, Mm -hmm. especially as girls. Um, so yeah, so it's nice. Um, I, I do. And he just signed a big ass five-year contract with Sirius because he made Sirius what it is. Right. Yes. Okay. Howard, maybe you'll listen to this someday. I know, please <laughs> read her book and listen to my podcast and we'll be mm-hmm. really happy bitches. <laughs> yes. And did I'll okay. show you my boobs, Howard. Oh, listen to that. Boobalicious. I'm not above it. <laughs> <laughs> She'll do God. it. Like he's my never, he's like, never what? heard that again. <laughs> he's know, never right? heard that. <laughs> See, even sober, my ass is crazy. I'll still flash your ass. I don't need booze. Come on. It doesn't matter. Let's do it. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for your time. If my listeners here at the Recovery Hour would like to find your book, 
where do they go? They can find it exclusively on Amazon and you just um, search Stroke of Sobriety and it's available on Kindle as well as paperback. And uh, you can visit my website, strokeofsobriety.com or oneandonlydg.com. Awesome. So great to meet you over the phone slash Zoom. That's how we do things here. Anything, um, one last spiel for the listeners that you want to give? You know, if, if you are afraid that your life is going to be over just because you, you put down the bottle or the pills or whatever, um, just keep in mind that your life begins the moment you put those down. It does not end so far from, and, uh, You'll, you'll thank your future self to for giving yourself the opportunity. I, I know that I do. Yeah, girl. Preach. <laughs> okay, that's it. You heard it here first. Danielle Gregorich, DG, author, Stroke of Sobriety. Find it at Amazon exclusively. She published it in 29 days. Take that, publishing bitches. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfeld, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. Just go do it right now. All right, all right, calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I've been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.